It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I had mentioned in some recent episodes that I was getting a sleep study done finally (laughs) to try to get to the bottom of my sleep disorder. And I'm going to tell the story of the sleep disorder, talk about my experience at the sleep clinic and the results. And this may lead into some other things as well. I've talked about my sleep disorder off and on, but I don't think I've ever gone super into depth about it. And this is something I started noticing within myself probably when I was in college because there's this key moment. And there was another moment a year or so before then. But my freshman year of college, I sleptwalked to the other section of my dormitory and woke up in the bathroom and was really embarrassed, even though I don't think anyone saw me. I don't know if I had ever really talked to anyone about that, but I just remember that feeling of waking up in the bathroom. I think (laughs) so. I went to college in Boston and the dormitory was old, just like a lot of buildings in Boston. And there were a few bathrooms, I think they were like single stall bathrooms. They weren't like maybe some dormitories have like multiple toilets and showers in each one. And if I remember correctly, I think there were like maybe only two bathrooms per floor. I don't remember how many rooms there were, but I'm trying to set the stage here. So my building, I think maybe had four or five units on each side of the elevator and there were 10 floors. So I'm guessing maybe there were 20 bathrooms or so in the whole building and you shared them. So, you know, you had to take turns. And that's all I really remember (laughs) about that. But I typically would use the bathroom on my side of the elevator. And it was kind of just known that the people that lived on that side would use one bathroom and the people that lived on the other side of the elevator would use the other. And I woke up in the other side's bathroom And I remember that I was sitting on the toilet, you know, with the lid down and just coming to there, becoming conscious of it and having that moment of, oh my gosh, what did I do? That's all I remember from that experience. The other moment before that was one time I was at my cousins in Ohio visiting them and I woke up in the middle of the night screaming And my aunt and uncle got mad. They thought like I did it on purpose, but I was sleep screaming. (laughs) Is that a term? And I also have this vague recollection of being really young and my parents telling me that I slept walk and fell down the stairs. So those were some of the defining moments. And I don't remember much else up until... I guess when I got my very first apartment by myself in Los Angeles, I don't think I'd ever lived on my own. And at that place, I started sleepwalking. And I'm sure I had done it in between, but maybe it was like I wasn't as aware of it or maybe it wasn't as big of a deal. I don't know if it got worse over time or maybe my awareness just got more intense. But I sleepwalked down the stairs of my building. And for context there, I I think it was a three-story building. And I left my, my apartment and walked down like these regular flights of stairs, you know, nothing super steep. I don't think anyone else was around. And I just remember waking up probably halfway down the building and being like really uncomfortable with the fact that I had done that. And that led me to start to think about what was going on with me. So I actually went to a doctor 
and inquired about what to do. And they said I should do a sleep study. Well, that was right before I quit one of my last full-time jobs and I didn't have insurance anymore. So I never went through with that sleep study. And I just had not taken it that seriously. I always thought that sleep studies were really expensive or out of reach, or I just, I guess it just wasn't a priority. But I started to notice my sleep behavior getting worse and worse. And and by the way, it was at that appointment where the doctor recommended that I go to a sleep study who referred to what I had as a sleep disorder. Up until then, I just kind of brushed it off like, oh, this is just weird behavior. Sometimes I sleepwalk and sometimes I talk in my sleep. But when I described what was going on with me, that was the first time that anyone had said that it was a disorder. And so it took me a while after that to start to even call it a disorder. And the doctor also brought up that I could go on medication. At the time, I was like, absolutely not. I'm not taking medication for this. I was trying to avoid any medication at all at that point in my life. So years go by and I collect all these stories of my sleepwalking. My sister, anytime I was visiting with her, she would tell me about it. Anybody that I would stay the night with, whether we were sharing a room at a hotel or I was staying with them at their home, I have now had to either tell them ahead of time that it's likely I'm going to sleepwalk because I seem to have these occurrences more so in new places. There seems to be a correlation between that. Or I've had an incident and I didn't tell them ahead of time. And the next day they're like, hey, you did something weird last night and it's super embarrassing. And it brings me up anxiety even talking about this because just like having to confess and and prompt people. I mean, people have reacted in ways that I guess have made me feel a bit self-conscious about it, even though I I can't help this, right? I feel a bit embarrassed. And even some people are creeped out by it. I remember like my cousin came to stay with me in LA a few years ago. And I mentioned ahead of time, like right before he went to bed, I was like, hey, just so you know. And this is the same cousin actually that I was in her room when I woke up screaming as a teenager. <laughs> so she must have never even remembered that. But she was really creeped out. She was like afraid that I was going to do something. And I've actually had experiences where I've done kind of weird things, like because I, for many years, was not in the habit of warning people before we went to bed. I remember this one time uh, I was on a trip with someone and like woke up standing over her bed. And the next day she was like, uh, what was that? <laughs> You know, and it's it's so embarrassing, but I cannot help it. I have very little control of, over my body. That's the definition of sleepwalking. And to get more in depth about what exactly happens for me is I've read a lot about sleepwalking. And I think a lot of people have these ideas around what it is. And I think the more severe cases, people have not even a recollection of doing something. They have zero memory of it. Mine is different where I usually remember sometimes very specific details. Sometimes I just have a sense in my body that I slept walk. And I also commonly have this experience where I will wake up as I'm doing something. And it's just incredibly frustrating and pun intended exhausting. It is becoming worse and worse for me mentally because I think it's building up anxiety for me. I've also, over the past two years, had a few instances that have really scared me for my safety. I remember having fears about this back, like I said, that time that I walked down the stairs many years ago at my first Los Angeles apartment, I started to put things in front of my door. And this is actually around the time that I got Evie and my dog, I thought maybe having a dog would help me because she would alert me when I woke up. And and it felt like for some times that she did, but I also feel like she's gotten used to it. Now she doesn't seem to even react. I'm pretty sure, for example, I slept like either last night or the night before. And I remember being conscious of Evie 
either while I was doing it or right afterwards. And she just doesn't react. Whereas when I first had Evie, when she was a lot younger or the puppy, even I remember like she would get really nervous about it and she, she would kind of move with me or something. And then, then that would help me wake up, but she doesn't do that anymore. So she must just be like, this is what my mom does, <laughs> which is uh, frustrating. So over time, I've had to try other things, um, other methods. I've tried like putting things in front of my door just to make sure I don't go outside. And I have gone outside a few other times, other places that I've lived. Even one time last year, I was visiting a friend and I am not positive, but I'm fairly certain that I walked outside her place. And most of the time that I've done things, the reason I I know that I've done them is because for many years, I've tracked my sleep with a night camera and I've actually captured myself walking or moving. Sometimes it's not even getting up and walking per se. Sometimes it's just jumping up in bed. Sometimes it's sitting up on the side of the bed. I've got have repeated actions of going and staring out the window thinking that someone's outside. And sometimes this is like very driven by a fear, like oh there's someone here at my home. Or sometimes it's part of my dream. In fact, The time I hurt myself the worst was about two years ago. I was dreaming that either wolves or wild dogs were chasing me. I feel like I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I thought that I was being chased and I jumped out of bed and slipped and hit my back on the dresser. And it hurt so bad that I started to wake up and I, as I became more conscious became very afraid that I had really hurt myself. I had also, I think, fallen on my arm and was afraid that I'd broken it or punctured it or something. And I had another experience like that, not as severe, but either within the last month or two, I ran out of bed and slipped and fell on my foot. And it hurt my toe so badly that I remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, like what did I do to my toe? What did I do to my foot? But the next morning I woke up and it was completely fine. But that's really scary. It's scary to walk out of my home. Fortunately, I've never done anything extreme like driving in a car or walking down the street, but it's also possible that I could. So over the years, based on these experiences, I started trying to find the answer to it, right? And it took me a while up until just a few months ago when I finally went to the sleep clinic, like I said, so I'll share that. But in the meantime, I've, I found myself doing all this research, talking to people, trying to get to the bottom of it. And surprisingly enough, or maybe this won't surprise you, but I'm kind of amazed that there is not a lot of information about this. When I t- try to type in my symptoms, you know, it's hard to like look things up. I barely come up with anything. I will look into sleepwalking and a lot of the common descriptions of sleepwalking are not exactly mine. I have read at length tips for how to control it, how to change your sleep routine, all of those things, and none of the advice has worked. In terms of what I've tried, it is crazy. So actually way back when I first saw the doctor about this, they said, okay, you know, here are some things you can try to set yourself up for a calmer sleep environment. At that time, I had just started experimenting with white noise. And I remember asking the doctor about that, like, is it okay that I'm listening to white noise? It's kind of funny. Now I'm like, of course it's okay. But back then I thought I was really weird for listening to white noise. It's not not talked about. It wasn't talked about as much as it is now, I feel. And I had like an app on my phone my whole life, I've liked white noise while I sleep. I don't like hearing random sounds like people talking or TV or any of that. And I don't like total silence. So I started listening to rain noises and my, the doctor said, yeah, that's that's a great thing to do. And then I eventually got a sound machine, which I'll link to if you want to check it out. It's awesome. It's called Electrofan. And there's a few similar brands and I bring it everywhere with me. It's about this big if you're watching the video, small size. uh, And it's USB powered. 
I bring it all over because I much prefer that sound than the sounds that apps make through my phone. And anyway, so that, and then I started doing other things. I got blackout shades and I always bring a eye mask with me if I'm going to be somewhere where I don't have access to blackout shades just to have complete darkness. It's another big tip. And then recently, it's funny, I I always move it off the bed behind me before I start recording, but I wish I'd kept it on now. I have a big body pillow from Essentia and... That body pillow has been a game changer, actually, mostly for my hips. I tend to have a lot of tension in my hips, and the body pillow changed it the way that I sleep. But it also makes me feel really safe. It's this big body pillow, and I just feel like oh, more comforted. So what, for a while, I was like, maybe that'll solve my sleepwalking. Maybe I just feel unsafe and super anxious. It was nice for a little while, but over time, did not work. Then I got a weighted blanket, which is also a game changer that I can show you here if you're watching the the video and I can link to, I'll link to the body pillow and the weighted blanket. I am obsessed with the weighted blanket. And now I also bring that everywhere with me. It's a 15 pound blanket. So whenever I travel, I'm like carrying this. I haven't gotten in an airplane in a while, so I don't know if I would bring it there. But like if I'm driving somewhere, I'm bringing my weighted blanket I would also bring the body pillow too, but it's so huge and bulky and it breaks my heart to leave it behind, to be honest. (laughs) But, you know, the weighted blanket's super comforting. It's also good for sensory issues. So as I've learned more about my neurodivergence, the weighted blanket is a game changer for me. But also hasn't stopped me from sleepwalking. Then um, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, I started taking every single night the very rest well. It's very every day. And uh, I have an episode with a founder. It's a great one about how well these supplements work. And these are amazing. It's valerian root, hops, passionflower, and GABA. And through my research, I found that GABA can play a big role in sleepwalking. I think it's maybe not having enough in the brain. I I have some notes that I need to pull up to reference But anyways, I started taking that and it's drastically improved my sleep. It's amazing. It's one of the best sleep supplements I've ever taken. And I might have a discount code because of the founder being on the show. So if I do, I'll put that in the show notes. If you haven't visited the show notes for the show before, it's at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's a full transcript. When the video goes up, that'll be there and there'll be links to every single product and resource that I mention. So, you know, that's been great, but I've still continued to sleepwalk and it's incredibly frustrating. I also did a ton of research and a couple things to bring up before I get into the sleep study experience is um, there the name for sleepwalking, I think the the clinical or scientific name is somnobolism, somnobolism, and people feel that it begins with an abrupt onset of motor activity arising from slow wave sleep. And it might be attributed to the deregulation between slow wave sleep and arousal. There's also something called REM, sleep behavior disorder, RBD, which can be confused with sleepwalking and sleep terrors. And these other disorders, you are usually confused upon waking and there is no dream reenactment. You do not become rapidly alert. In contrast, it is normally easy to wake a person with RBD who is acting out of a dream. Once awake, you're also able to recall clear details of the vivid dream. So when I heard about that, I thought, well, maybe I have RBD and maybe it's not technically sleepwalking. And I wouldn't really call it sleep terrors, although... There are times like when I wake up screaming or, or, you know, when I'm really terrified of a dream, those have definitely woken me up. And I, I think many people experience that. It's a little bit more common. By the way, sleepwalking, especially the case that I have, is extremely wa- rare, apparently. And that's why it's been so hard for me to get to the bottom of it. It's fascinating. Like, how did I end up with something so rare? And then I think it's RBD. This is part of the same notes. Um, so having a person in the room or a partner who expresses concerns about unusual behavior, every single guy that I've dated has noticed this stuff about me. It's made them nervous. 
Some of them have been really supportive about it. Others have been very frustrated about it. That's been tough in relationships. And then again, my notes are a little all over the place, but I had a note about performing actions that match vivid dreams that they can clearly recall. So again, being different from sleepwalking, as I mentioned, I think either classical sleepwalking or extreme sleepwalking, people will not actually remember anything and they're confused. Whereas for me, I can remember a good amount generally, but I also become very confused. So another thing about my disorder is that I'm disoriented. And this is I've noticed actually in the past week in my experiences, I will sit there and I do not know if my dream was real or not. And I will find myself awake, but in this hazy state of not knowing what's real or in my head. And that is really tough. In fact, I just recalled what my latest sleepwalking episode was about. I think it was last night. This is nuts. Like my dreams often make very little sense. I, but I have a reoccurring dream like this one. Last night, I'm fairly certain it was last night. This is where the fuzziness comes in. Whenever this was, last night or the night before, I jumped out of bed and thought that there was a cat or kitten in my bedside table that I forgot to take care of. This is a reoccurring dream of mine. And for any of you who are into dream meanings, I would love to to know what you could find on this. (laughs) If you want to help me and look it up. I don't care that much to look it up, but in this moment, I feel very curious uh, because I've had these reoccurring dreams of not taking care of animals and sometimes them passing away as a result or their lives being at danger. And last night, I jumped out of bed thinking, oh my gosh, I forgot about this kitten. It's been in this drawer. I don't know why it was in the drawer. This whole time, I got to go save it. So I actually got out of bed and opened up the bedside table and tried to save this kitten. And I remember when I didn't find a cat in the drawer, I stood there and I was like, I have a cat. Where is it? And I was fully convinced for probably 30 seconds that I had a cat and I didn't know where it was. But I do not have a cat and I haven't had a cat for a very long time. But my brain in that moment was so deeply convinced. And it's That to me is really scary and extremely frustrating. That's also been occurring more. And one thing that deeply concerns me about this is that there are some correlations between sleepwalking and conditions like Parkinson's disease, which I don't know if I can say it runs in my family, but my grandmother on my mom's side had it and my brother on my mom's side currently has it. So I've done a ton of research on Parkinson's. And some people say it's genetic, some don't, but sleepwalking can often be something that people with Parkinson's experience. So I have this fear, like what if my sleep disorder is just part of something that's going to be more debilitating? Uh, So it's terrifying. And I want to tell this story because, A, maybe I'll find someone else through telling this story that has experienced this or knows about this. So If you've gone through this, if you know someone who's gone through or has this condition or disorder, or if you have resources that are in-depth, please send them my way (laughs) because I'm getting to the point where I I don't know what the next steps are. So let me finish up with my notes, then I'm going to get to the sleep disorder story. And interestingly enough, adolescents with sleep terrors and sleepwalking were found to have an increased prevalence of other sleep disorders, neurotic traits, and psychiatric disorders and problems. And I wrote that note down because given my recent reflections on being neurodivergent, I wonder if there's a correlation there. So I've also looked up, is there a connection with autism, ADHD, other elements of the spectrum? And it seems like there are in some cases, but I haven't found anything super conclusive. Some researchers believe that those who experience sleepwalking or night terrors may have difficulty in maintaining slow wave sleep, which makes them susceptible to quick arousals and increases the chance of uh, parasomnias. And then there's also some research about um, hypothalamic pituitary 
adrenal access, which is the adrenal glands that release cortisol and adrenaline. So for me, the stress, the cortisol certainly seems to be playing a role. And also the adrenaline, like my heart will be pounding. I'll be really scared. There's like this deep stress, fearful reaction that happens for me here. So I wonder how much that's impacting my waking hours too. Before I started recording today, I have experienced like hours of exhaustion, despite the fact that I thought I slept well last night and I had caffeine in a few different forms a day. I went for a walk and got some sunshine. Like I felt like I took such good care of myself. I haven't had a super jam-packed day. And there'll be these days where I'm just exhausted and I can't figure out why. So that led me to the sleep clinic. I finally decided to move forward with it. I asked my new general practitioner about it a few months ago, and they referred me to a sleep clinic that's part of my insurance network. So I made an appointment and leading up to it, I didn't feel like the sleep clinic was that good, (laughs) but I had never had an experience as a sleep clinic before. I've heard stories of other people who have that I'm close to. So I kind of like asked them some questions. Hey, is this what yours is like? They said, yes. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go. It's in my network. It's, you know, it's not going to cost money and it was all covered in my insurance. So I thought, well, it'll be a good step. But my gut feeling the whole time was not that great. First of all, I had my study done a few months ago when there was a COVID spike in Los Angeles. And I was really nervous about going and staying overnight in a medical facility without knowing their COVID protocols. So I called them up and they gave me like really weird responses. I went in thinking it's not going to be the most conscious, COVID conscious environment. And I got there and I was right. Like (laughs) they said that they were going to check my temperature and check, you know, for either my vaccination status or do a COVID test or something. They didn't do any of that. I literally had an appointment that started at 1030 PM. I got there and knocked on the door. This girl came and just like, let me in. There was no receptionist. She was just like the person that worked there and led me into a room. She was wearing her mask very loosely. So I I went in there with three masks on because I was like not going to take any risks. This is right before the holidays. I did not want to get sick. And I just had this hunch that it was going to feel a little out of my comfort zone health-wise. But the place was clean. And she said there was only like a couple people there that night. So I just had to trust it. But I wasn't able to wear my sleep mask at night. And I just felt so nervous. But that's aside the point. As far as I know, I did not get COVID from the facility. But that was not a good first impression for me because it didn't make me feel safe. And my a lot of my sleep issues are based around stress and anxiety. So going into a sleep environment where I don't feel safe did not feel good to me. And then uh, it took a while for them to finally set everything up and they hooked me up with all these wires and stuff. I might edit in or... You know what I will do? I'm going to put in the show notes for this episode pictures of me with all the equipment on me uh, so that you can see I took them and I took some videos too. I was thinking of doing like a little video montage. I probably won't do that, but maybe once this video finally comes out on YouTube, I'll, I'll edit it in. No promises, but definitely the photos you can go see. So they hook all these wires up to your face, your temples, your hands, my legs, tons of wires. And they also, which I didn't know before going to sleep study, that you're in a room that's quote, designed to feel like a bedroom. The pictures on their website for this clinic did not represent what this room was like for me. It was very sterile. It was just like a white room, small, like barely the size of a regular bedroom with, a, I think, a full-size bed, a regular bed, not like a hospital bed, and a little bedside table and a chair. But there was barely any space for me to put my stuff down. They also said that you could bring anything you wanted to make your sleep comfortable. So they provided a blanket and a pillow, but it was kind of like, 
if you were going to a cheap motel type of sheets and pillow. So thank goodness I was prepared. I brought my weighted blanket and I brought one of my favorite pillows, not my body pillow, because I just thought that was not going to work in that environment. And then I brought my pajamas and I tried to bring everything possible to make myself comfortable before I went. Actually, I think once I got there, I took the very everyday supplement. I didn't want to take anything else. I don't normally anyways, but uh, I was trying to think whatever would keep me calm. I brought a book to read and my blue blocker glasses, which I talked about in a in an episode or Actually, I don't know if that episode's come out yet by the time this one does. Yes, that was last Friday's episode. So you can go learn about blue blocker glasses with James Swanwick if you are curious. I wore those. I brought a good calming book to read. I think I was reading Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And what else did I do? I brought my sound machine. They said I could use that. I brought my favorite pajamas and just went to the bathroom, brushed my teeth and got in bed. And, you know, it took her, the woman that was working there, like probably an hour to get to me. So I just kind of sat there getting comfortable and ready reading. She came in and hooked me all up. And that took probably like 15 minutes or so. And they had me do an intake form to share more about why I was there. And then lights out was at midnight. Now that's not late for me because I usually go to bed between midnight and 1am. So I thought, great, no problem. But being connected to all those wires, feeling a little stressed about a new environment, plus stressed about COVID, I was definitely on edge as much as I tried not to be. So I was really having trouble falling asleep. And I think that I finally fell asleep within like an hour or so, probably somewhere between 1 and 2 a.m. What I didn't expect and was really frustrating is that the woman burst into the room like and floods the whole room with light somewhere between somewhere before 3 a.m. to like readjust the wires on me. And there was no knocking. It wasn't the soft like tiptoeing in, just like burst through the door to readjust things and then just leaves. And I'm like, oh my gosh, for someone with a sleep disorder, it was so frustrating. And then she did it again. She did that at least three times. So I think the whole night I was on edge about the next time she was going to come in the room. So I remember I didn't really start to fall asleep until like 3 or 3.30. She also told me that she was going to come wake me up and be done with the study before 6 a.m. And I was like, are you kidding me? How am I supposed to get any quality sleep for you to be able to help observe me and figure out what's going on with me? if I can barely sleep for six hours. But I'm trying to trust the system. And apparently that's how a lot of these sleep clinics work. They, I think they bring another wave of people in uh, around 7 or 8 a.m. So people can do like day studies or whatever. So I asked, I was like, hey, you know, if you can wake me up the latest possible, that would be great. And she's like, sure thing. And then she bursts in the room before 6 a.m. It was like 5.55 And I remember just like feeling so groggy and sick. I never get up that, well, I shouldn't say never. It's very rare for me to get up before 6 a.m. And I just felt awful. And she's like, you know, flips on the lights and it's like bright fluorescent lights in there. And she's taking all the stuff off me. Also, which was weird, I did not expect, is in order to get the wires stuck to your head properly, she had like this weird thick goo, like almost glue, silicone substance all over my head. And so my head is just like matted in this goo. And I was like, great. (laughs) So I left and I remember just feeling... Violated is a strong word, but I remember feeling like there wasn't a lot of care. I I just had this hunch that I was not going to get solid results from that because I probably slept a total of three hours or so. But I was hoping that some sleepwalking or something close, the sleep talking, like something in my brain would at least turn on to indicate to give them something to go off of. But I I was fairly certain I didn't sleepwalk or sleep talk at all because I just wasn't in that deep sleep that I would normally be in. And for me, and I think this is very common for sleepwalking in general, and this is what I was able to narrow down through two different methods, which over the years, 
I've used the night vision camera, which is the best option for me because I can actually see myself moving and you know, there's a time code on the camera. It's great. I can link to the camera if you're curious. Very affordable camera that's great for all sorts of things, not documenting your sleep typically. People use it for security or watching their pets, but it ended up being great for me for the sleepwalking. The other way I found out when I sleepwalk and sleep talk is by using a sleep talking app. I've had that for like 10 years. So I, I'll link to it. I don't know if it's still a good app and I don't remember what it's called. So check the show notes if you're curious. Again, at wellevator.com. And I'll share with you, that's how I got to the bottom of my timing. So for me, I generally sleepwalk and sleep talk about 90 minutes after falling asleep, sometimes two hours, sometimes one hour. So it's anywhere between a one hour and two hours after falling asleep, averaging around 90 minutes. And that's typically when your brain goes into REM sleep. So a lot of people end up exhibiting this behavior around the same time. So I was hoping if I could fall asleep for at least three hours that they'd be able to track something. But I found out a few days ago the results of my sleep study. And unfortunately, it was almost exactly what I thought. The only thing that I was unsure about was whether or not it will turn out that I have sleep apnea. And sleep apnea, for those that don't know, is incredibly common. I don't know if it's considered a sleep disorder, but it's one of the main reasons why people snore or have trouble sleeping. I think it's connected to issues with maybe not insomnia, but like not being able to stay asleep. And from my limited understanding, it's something about the, there's a blockages in being able to breathe. So sleep apnea patient or people that have sleep apnea as a condition have trouble breathing throughout the night and they'll actually like wake up coughing or they'll feel like they're choking, they'll snore. And it's so common. I'm throwing this out there, but I feel like maybe 80% of the population, that could be completely wrong, but it's some, some extreme, extremely common number like that. So I thought, well, maybe I have sleep apnea and that's connected to the sleep disorder. I found out I do not have sleep apnea, which was a bit of a relief because (laughs) if you don't know about sleep apnea, usually is recommended you get a CPAP machine, I think is what it's called, or um, they have different things that you can put in your mouth to readjust your jaw, various options out there for sleep apnea. And and I just didn't want to deal with that. So I'm really glad I don't have it. My results are also here. Let's see what else. It is so short. (laughs) I was like, are you serious? They gave me this little packet. And let's see if I can share this without disclosing any. uh, I don't think, well, I'll just say that it's like four bullet points, very short on this piece of paper. And it says um, that I have, it gives me details about oxygen desaturation, which my doctor said my levels were completely fine. And then AHI, I don't know what that means off the top of my head, but they, my doctor said that was fine. And then it just says diagnosis negative for sleep apnea and limb movements, which is another thing that they will test for at these sleep clinics is if you have things like restless leg syndrome. And I remember going in thinking, maybe I do, but I I don't have the classic signs of it. And apparently I don't have it. And then there's this one liner where it says recommendations, clinical follow-up, no physical disrupt or of sleep. Maybe it's meant to say no physical disruptor of sleep. I don't even really know what that means. But basically my doctor read this and was like, yeah, the sleep study says you're fine. Now, granted, I just went started seeing this new medical practice, and I don't feel like the doctors there that I see. I have like the main practitioner, but often they have they send in a doctor that works under my doctor. So I don't forget what the term is for that, but they're the kind of like doctors associates or assistants, perhaps. Very nice, wonderful clinic, but. I don't feel like they know a lot about sleep. So they were just reading this diagnosis from the sleep clinic and using that as my answer. And I just felt so defeated, but also empowered to take the next steps. So it was disappointing. 
I also just had a hunch based on my experience at the sleep clinic that this is what was going to happen. I just didn't think that they were going to be able to get to the root of anything. The also frustrating thing about this was that they have like this little section on the cover of this little packet that they gave me. And it says the patient complains of waking to urinate nightmares and breathing problems at night. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know where they got this from. Like, what does that even mean? So I think maybe when I did my intake form at the clinic, I checked off that sometimes I wake up to urinate, but that wasn't the main reason I went in there. And I think I probably checked off a box about nightmares and maybe even breathing problems. So basically, I don't feel like they were even looking for my sleepwalking. There's nothing in this document. In fact, when I told the doctor why I went in, they were like, oh, and they were so confused because it wasn't even documented in here. So tons of things were lost in translation. And I think this is such an important lesson that our medical system is really complex and not always the easiest to navigate. Based on the struggles I've had to find answers to this online, which of course, you got to take online research for medical issues with a grain of salt. But in all of these years of struggling with this, trying to figure it out, bringing up to doctors, talking about it to other people, I've literally never came across somebody who's like, oh, here's the direction you should go in. My doctor basically at the end of this appointment, looking over my sleep study results was like, I don't know what to tell you. Honestly, if I had not pressed further, they would have just ended it there. But because I was saying, hey, I'm concerned about this because I've had a few instances recently that have almost led to injury and it's concerning that I'm leaving my home to sometimes over the years, like this isn't something I can take lightly. And it's also making visiting people, like socializing hard. It's making relationships tough sometimes. It's an issue for me. But the fact that that was just kind of like not even taken that seriously is so disheartening. And it made me think of how many people have other issues that are not taken seriously. And this is not the first time that I've gone through something like this. My other big example was years ago when I was having tons of allergic reaction symptoms. I went to a doctor and got tested for food allergies and all of my results came back negative. So they were like, sorry, you're not, you're not allergic to food. It must be something else. Just take this medication for like, uh, what's the term? Pollen or whatever. Like it must be something in your environment, you know? And for years, like 10 plus years, I think I was talking to doctors, trying different medications and just feeling left in the dark about what was going on for me. And I was having all these crazy symptoms of inflammation in my body and sneezing. It was so bad. Like every other day, I was having these crazy, like cold or flu-like symptoms. And I always would just brush it off like, oh, I have allergies. That's what all the doctors said to me. And it wasn't until I started experimenting with changing my diet that I realized on my own that it was food related. When I eliminated things like gluten, soy, corn, and almonds, which are my top four food sensitivities, when I have took those out of my diet, my body drastically changed. I think every single one of those symptoms went away. So I was left to my own research and experimenting to get to the root of it. And I'm not angry or resentful at the medical system. I just kind of accept it like, okay, that's the way it is. But it is sad and frustrating. And I feel like my issues are relatively not that bad. You know, I'm sure there are people that go through even worse things that either they can't get an answer to or are so expensive to diagnose And it's just a bit sad. But I don't also feel sad. I feel sad when I talk about it like this, but I don't feel sad going through my day. I feel determined to figure this out. 
And I wanted to share this story just in case, like I said, you or someone you know are going through this. Maybe we can figure this out together. Or maybe you have another path I can look down in terms of a resource. Now, I'm not at a point where I want to spend a lot of money on this. I will spend some money as needed to figure it out. I just want to spend my money wisely, you know, if it's not going to be something covered by insurance. The only positive, how do I say this? The only road that my doctor pointed me towards was talking to my psychiatrist, who is a wonderful person. I have my next psychiatry appointment next week, and I'm going to talk to her and let her know what's going on because I did find a medication that I could try. And let's see, is it this one? I think it's trazodone. Let me pull this up. I I do have a note here about trazodone being, oh yeah, it is a medication. Trazodone, T-R-A-Z-O-D-O-N-E. And it's a medication that's typically used to treat depression But it does have, according to some research I've done, the power to rewrite the sleep architecture of synobolism. I hope I'm saying that right, which is sleepwalking. And that's because it can block the brain's arousal histamine and adrenaline systems. And that could be often used to treat sleep apnea as well. So I'm going to ask my doctor about it. Do I want to take medication? No, but I'm at a point in my life now, very different from when I was when I first started looking into this, that I would rather take it if that means I have quality of life back. Because at this point, I don't know if it's contributing to ongoing exhaustion, and which is really tough for me when I feel tired very often. And also just all these really challenging and embarrassing sleep experiences which may not sound that big a deal, but I think that they are a bigger deal than I've even acknowledged. Even sharing them here on this episode, I think, wow, this sucks that I have to go through this. Like I have to carry the weight of this fear of embarrassing myself or hurting myself. And I mean, for my own safety, I feel like it might be worth looking into this. Plus, you know, if it helps with other elements of my life, and my mood challenges um, and emotional balances that I, this is the whole reason I have a psychiatrist in the first place. Maybe it, it kind of takes care of two things at once. We'll see, but I definitely need to look into it more. I'm not concluding anything. So we'll see. I've also read some promising things about hypnotherapy and biofeedback, CBT, And also, is it TMS? Yeah, TMS is something my friend who works as a therapist recommended. But that, I believe, is not covered by my insurance. So I might have to go down the route of switching insurances to have things covered. And this is what I mean. It just like feels like a lot. So I will keep you posted. I'll call this part one, or maybe I'll just do a follow-up in another episode I also may seek out some sleep specialists on this show because maybe I can help get to the bottom of it publicly and bring on someone else who's an expert who could share some information with you too. So I'd love to hear from you. I want to know, have you gone through any of this? Have Do you know anyone who chronically sleep talks or sleepwalks or struggled with something similar? Maybe the REM sleep behavior disorder, also known as RBD. Is any of this familiar? Like anything you want to comment, I would love, love, love to hear from you. And if you have any resources that you found helpful and what would be helpful to me if you want to share any of that is something more advanced, not just like a web link, but maybe some more details because I have so much research that I've done, but I often get stuck because it feels overwhelming to me. So if you want to offer up things, the more details you can share with me, the better, like specific doctors or cost averages, if you want to tell me if you know specifics on that stuff, just so I can you know, work it into my plan and figure out my insurance situation or budget for it. I always like to plan things out in advance so I can account for whatever else is going on in my life and 
that would be awesome. And then if you're comfortable with me sharing whatever you share with me, I can share it with other people on the show or other people that reach out to me. So also please let me know in this case, but any case, are you comfortable with me sharing what you share with me or do you want me to keep it private? I always want to respect your privacy. So it's important to be upfront about that. I will link to everything I've mentioned today as usual in the show notes, which is at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I really appreciate you listening and at least just hearing my story. Maybe you're just curious. A lot of people are fascinated by it. So I thought, what the heck? I'll do an episode. If you have follow-up questions, I will happily answer those as well, either privately or in another episode. So if you're curious about more, I'm an open book about this because I want to get to the root of it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I left out. Not that I can think of. I think I've at least given you the main details, which is that I do some weird things in my sleep that I can't control, can't predict, haven't found a way to regulate. And I've tried you know, a few other things just to share. I've tried experimenting with no caffeine, no alcohol that is actually talked about in my episode with James Swanwick. If you haven't listened to that yet, he really inspired me to be very, very mindful about alcohol. And I have tried all sorts of sleep routines from meditations to baths before bed and getting off my phone and, you know, all of these little tweaks And I'm sure that I could try more of them and be more consistent with them. I think that therapy to me feels the most promising. So while I do want to talk to the psychiatrist about medication as a possibility, I would really love to try a deep therapy method. So that's a route that I'm planning to take next if you're curious. And if you have more details about any of those things and you happen to be in Southern California like me or have any referrals. I'd love to hear them. I mean, ideally someone that specializes in sleep versus just a general therapy, which I'm already um, on the route for. I'm actually waiting to get set up with a new therapist and I'm excited about that. This will probably be the first thing I bring up to them, but I don't expect them to have all the answers. So anyone who specializes in sleep would be amazing. So again, thank you. Thank you for just holding space for me. Thank you if you do decide to reach out. Thanks for being part of this show and all the different facets of it. I appreciate you. I'd love to know what else, what other topics I can cover. And I'll be back again with another episode this Friday. Let me see what I have lined up for you. Ooh, ooh, I have such a good episode with the guests. I mean, I'm pretty partial. I only bring on guests that I'm excited about, but This one is incredibly special. In fact, it kind of ties into this theme too in a completely different avenue, but it's about how to live with chronic illness. And this guest story is incredibly moving. And yeah, you'll hear me remark throughout the episode how in awe I am of her. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Stay tuned. Please subscribe if you haven't yet so you can... Be notified, alerted on your favorite podcast player as soon as the episode comes out. And you can go to wellevator.com for all the resources and the past episodes, as well as my contact information. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I'll see you on Friday. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.